Hello, and welcome to the Sex Within Marriage podcast. For those who are listening for the first time, I'm JD. My blog is at sexwithinmarriage.com, and I blog about married sexuality from a Christian perspective. I'm also a Christian marriage coach, and you can check out my practice at anonymousmarriagecoaching.com. A few years ago, I wrote a post called uh, 16 Confessions of a Marriage Sex Blogger, and in it, I shared a bunch of things that I thought might be interesting to my readers, kind of to help them get to know me a little bit better. Today, I wanted to do kind of the same thing for my podcast readers, but I'm going to take a slightly different approach. I'm going to share with you eight things that I don't really want to admit as a Christian marriage podcaster. While these might help you to get to know me a bit better, I also want to kind of show you how to be transparent, to show you that it's okay to share potentially embarrassing things. And if I can share these with you, then you can definitely share things that are even deeper with your spouse. So I hope this will help somebody in some way. So without further ado, here we go. Number one is my marriage is not perfect. Uh, too often, you know, marriage bloggers and pastors and podcasters and counselors and experts in the field, too often they, they put up this kind of vision that their marriage is perfect. And it, it's often not overt. Um, lots of times, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, my marriage isn't perfect. We have our struggles too. But then you hear the struggles that they kind of have and you're like, those aren't struggles. <laughs> uh, it still seems like this kind of fairy tale marriage where they're not sharing any like real struggles that they're having. And so today I want to say that, you know, our marriage is not like the fairy tale marriage. To start off, our, our marriage from day one was basically a disaster. Uh, I had the flu during our wedding ceremony. I was sweating. Everyone else thought I was nervous. I had a fever. On our way to... Uh, the honeymoon, our van broke down. Uh, I got the flu for the entirety of our stay. It just started off bad and kind of just went downhill from there. Uh, I was severely addicted to porn. My wife was a textbook refuser and gatekeeper. Uh, she had problems due to birth control pills that made her, frankly, a little crazy and irrational and kind of random and hard to deal with. And we, we struggled for a long time. Uh, on top of that, I didn't know that I am somewhere on the autism spectrum, so I'm a little bit more Aspergian than neurotypical. Uh, my wife has ADHD, which we didn't know that at the time either. And all these things together, they caused a lot of struggles for us. And sometimes they deal, still do kind of cause some struggles. Things like that you don't get over quickly. Uh, it took us eight years to finally kind of start working on our marriage. Uh, up until that point, we just suffered through it more or less. And so it's only been in the last, you know, seven to eight years, we're married 15 years this May, that we, we've actually started to kind of get our feet under us. You know, we, we started working on communication and we started fixing our finances and, uh, we started going to church again and, uh, just a, a lot of things. 
we, we fixed our sex life. I quit porn. Uh, my wife got medicated. Uh, we realized how our brains work. Uh, there are so many things that we had to struggle through and we had to fight against and, and to ultimately fight for our marriage. And we still fight it a lot of the times. Um, we grew up with such kind of bad habits that are so deeply ingrained within us that we still have to fight them because they're, they're what we grew up with and they're our nature, you know. So, for example, finances, we always seem to keep running into financial hardships. And a lot of that's because which neither of us really want to deal with it. Um, and now we're, we're, I think we're finally starting to get the hang of that. You know, we've gotten the hang of budgeting. We're actually monitoring our finances on a weekly basis. But still, you know, we have a lot of stuff to clean up, a lot of debt that we had to deal with. And uh, this past year, I've been unemployed. And so, of course, that just adds more struggles. So now I have a new job and... Things seem to be looking up, but we have to kind of dig ourselves out of the hole that we've gotten into over the last year. We still have struggles. We still have stresses about yeah, finances. We have stresses about how things are going to work out. We have stresses about uh, raising five kids when uh, most of our family, our siblings, they're not having kids. Uh, so we feel kind of very alone in that area. We have five kids. And we know very few people who have as many. And so a lot of them don't understand the struggles that we have. You know, when they say, oh, we'll just get a babysitter and go out. We look at them and go, do you know how hard it is to find a babysitter for five kids aged one year to nine years old? You know, there's not a lot of kids who will handle that. In fact, when we ask our family to watch them, it usually takes two or three of them together to agree to watch them. I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of our things in some other points. But uh, I just want people to know that, you know, don't stick us up on a a pedestal. We are in the trenches, living this stuff out day in, day out, the same as you are. In some areas, we might be a little bit further ahead. In other areas, we might be way further behind. And uh, I just want you to know that, you know, we're human and we make mistakes and we have our own issues and baggage just like you do. My second thing is that my ministry really benefits me more than anybody else. I get so many emails from people saying, you know, thank you for everything that you do. You've changed our marriage. You've helped our marriage. You've, sometimes we even get you've saved our marriage. And at the end of the day, all those things, they make me feel good. But it's more than that, that being almost forced to, I produce what, five posts a week now, you know, it it forces me to think about my own marriage. I get questions from people and I recognize things that I'm doing wrong in my own marriage. And so when I answer them, a lot of times I'm, I'm talking to myself. You know, when I see the, the hurts that other people are going through, you know, I see them in my own marriage. Sometimes I see things that I've done in my own marriage sometimes I see things I'm still doing in my own marriage that I need to stop. And so this, it constantly keeps me focused 
intensely on my marriage and on making it better and on resolving issues and in growing. And that's invaluable to me personally, more than I think people realize. Uh, number three is that I write and I podcast anonymously. And I do it primarily because I'm scared. Um, this name, JD, is is not my real name. Uh, people who have been reading my blog, they, they know that probably. I've mentioned it quite a few times. Um, but maybe some of the people who are listening to my podcast, they don't know that yet. Uh, I'm afraid that if people saw what I wrote, if they listened to my podcast and they knew who I was, they would look at me differently and in kind of being put under that microscope, um, less so for me, but more for my wife, because she she has a lot stronger connections to people. Um, she cares more about her relationships with them. Um, but I think it would censor me. You know, I would start censoring myself. I would pull back and start writing differently. Uh, even as it stands, there are a couple of people who I know in real life who read my blog and they listen to my podcast. And um, sadly, I, I already know I censor some things I write because I know that they're reading it. Because I know that they're there and I'm going to have to see them. And there are some things I'm still not comfortable with writing about. And I hate to admit that. But it's the truth and I can't I can't deny it. So moving on. Point number four. I am more than a little weird or unique. And so is the rest of my family. Um, because I'm on this autistic scale spectrum, uh, I'm kind of Aspergian, as in I have Asperger syndrome, I think. I'm self-diagnosed. Uh, so, but it makes me have a bit of an obsessive personality. I like esoteric things. I mean, even saying the word esoteric makes me sound pedantic, which is another word that nobody ever uses. I like words. I like words that nobody uses. I like knowing things that nobody knows. I like walking into the room and someone's doing a crossword puzzle and saying, hey, what's this word? And I know it off the top of my head and no one else in the room has ever heard of it before. Uh, sometimes they're even in other languages, and that just m makes me even stranger. You know, our weird science facts or things about theoretical physics, you know, all this stuff. You know, I I I like the strange and the odd and the more unknown and obscure, almost the better. Not in a kind of just useless trivia sort of sense. But I like to understand how things fit together, how they work. Uh, and that makes me sometimes a little strange because I like to talk about these things and no one else in the world is interested in them. And my kids are kind of growing up to be the same way. You know, when, when my nine-year-old daughter asked me, how does gravity work? I start explaining about gluons and quantum particles that uh, make up our galaxy because I have an interest in this stuff. And uh, so then when somebody else asks her, oh, what are you learning in school now? Because we homeschool. You know, she'll start talking about gluons. 
which to me is the most amazing thing in the world, <laughs> but unfortunately to other people makes her a little weird. And all my kids are kind of a little bit like that. So sometimes we stand out a little bit. I mean, we are, um, our, our theology is sometimes what I call neoconservative. In some ways, we're very, very conservative in the way that we feel we hold to biblical truths and values. And in other ways, we seem extremely modern in the way that we apply those biblical truths and principles. You know, and then on top of that, I mean, like I said before, we, we have five kids, we homeschool, plus we're the ones that keep like trying new diets. So we've been, uh, vegetarian and vegan and raw vegan. And we're constantly trying to find kind of new ways to, to live and to try things out and to be healthier. Uh, we don't vaccinate and, uh, we use cloth diapers and we baby wear and we, yeah, we're just, in a lot of ways, we're very different than a lot of people. Uh, up until this year, I've been self-employed my entire life. Um, this taking on, like having a real job is a huge shift for me. And sometimes that makes us uh, kind of the oddball out. Anyways, number five is I'm still scared to initiate sex a lot of the time. And that's kind of embarrassing to admit because I write about sex and how uh, spouses should be open and generous with each other and transparent and be vulnerable. And my wife, uh, whom I love dearly, has promised never to say no again. And so I should, by all rights and definitions, be like the guy who has the least to fear about initiating sex. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. Every time I initiate, pretty much, I, it scares me. To the point that a lot of time my wife says, all right, are we doing something or are we not doing something? Because I could be sleeping. <laughs> and, you know, that, that that's a little embarrassing to admit that me, the sex blogger, podcaster, marriage coach guy uh, has to be prodded by my low drive wife to say, okay, are you going to initiate or not? I'm tired of waiting. And I think a lot of it has to do with our history. Like I said, we, we don't have a perfect marriage and things used to be a lot worse than they, they are. And so I think I'm a lot of times still very gun shy about it. You know, my brain is still wired to expect a no. Uh, I think that's only part of it though. I think a large part of it is that growing up, even before marriage, uh, my brain was wired to be that when I asked for something, I was used to being shot down. Um, outside of the context of se sexuality, you know, I was a very, kind of a shy and depressed teenager. You know, I, I expected the world to be against me. And so unfortunately during my formative years, that was, that was kind of who I became. And I fight against that a lot, but a lot of it is still 
ingrained deeply in me. And so when you guys are out there and you're sending in questions saying, you know, why am I so scared to initiate sex or how do I get over this? I know how you're feeling because I still feel it. And sometimes I forget my own tips that work on other people and I know they work and I believe in them and it's still hard to do sometimes. Anyways, number six is I take my relationship with God for granted a lot. Uh, horribly, in fact. Uh, I have always been more of the theological student than the building a relationship with God, uh, which is ridiculous because all of my theology study and my discussions with people and my advice always is to point people back to a relationship with God. And yet I have a very hard time maintaining that relationship myself. Uh, I, I know he's there. I know I'm saved. I, uh, I, I, I know all this stuff about him, but my prayer life sucks. Uh, lately my devotional life sucks. Uh, I, I spend so much time reading to find answers to questions and not enough time reading to get to know God and praying so that, you know, he can kind of get to know me or <laughs> rather because he knows me already. I can get used to sharing myself with him. I think that's, that's the big thing. And that's hard when you're a Christian podcaster and a Christian marriage coach and, you know, when you're a Christian to say, Hey, I, I am not a very good Christian sometimes. And so that's something that I, I need to work on personally. Um, but it's still, it's hard to admit, and I'm hoping by kind of putting it out there, maybe it'll force me to be better about it. Number seven is, I feel like I have to fight pride every day. And I don't mean in like a, a generic theological, oh, we always have to fight pride, you know, it's always our way or God's way kind of thing, but more of a I've been very, very blessed in my life. And I feel this constant, constant battle of Satan always trying to point me to say, look how good you're doing. And wow, you're really special to have kind of done what you've done. Um, I... For example, it, it's hard for me to admit that I am an intelligent person. Uh, I have had so many people over my life pick out that one attribute of me and say, oh, you know, if you want someone to smart talk, to talk to you, go talk to him. And it comes up so often, it is frankly embarrassing. At one point, I thought it was ridiculous, so I went out and got an IQ test, which did not help the situation any better, because it just confirmed everybody. And so when I get emails from people saying, you know, your blog is amazing, when I uh, get people saying, 
you know, you're smart or you're wise. It's amazing what you've done or anything like that. My first instinct is to downplay it. I have a really hard time accepting that kind of praise because I am so fearful of the pride that could turn up from that. And I, I feel like I have to fight every minute of every day to stay humble because there is a part of my brain that keeps trying to jump up and steal the spotlight and say, yep, I'm doing very good. You know, look at what I've done. And that's hard for me. So, you know, if, if, if you say something like that to me in an email, I don't feel like you have to hold back. But if I don't uh, respond in an appropriate manner and say thank you and that I appreciate that, um, please understand that that's why. Um, because I tend to run from praise like that. I, yeah, because I feel like I'm not strong enough to accept it. And the last thing is uh, my point number eight of my eight things that I don't want to admit is that I care more about the truth than I do about people. And it's not that I don't care about people. Admittedly, in the past, I, I when I was a teenager, I did not care about people. Uh, the, the world could have burned for all I cared. Uh, but God has been working in my life, and I've, I've changed a lot from that teenager. And I, I really want to help people. In fact, I'd say that's like my strongest passion in life is that I I want to help people more than anything else. Probably that's that's how I want to serve God, is to make people's lives better. And not better like short term, but better like in long term like seriously foundational things. You know, I, I love discussing theology because I believe it can make huge fundamental differences to people's lives. I like writing about marriage and sexuality because it has such a pivotal role in people's lives. It affects so much. And I love to get emails from people saying, you know, we were having problems and now they're resolved or things are doing better. And it's because something that I've played a part in, not because I want to take credit for it because that would be back to my point about pride again, but more that I, I love hearing that I was able to serve them in some way, you know, that God could use me in some small capacity to help people. So while I have this strong care for people, I have an even stronger desire to follow the truth. And not only follow it, but to uh, model it and to share it and to just to focus on it. Uh, and sometimes that gets me into trouble. Um, because sometimes my desire, because sometimes my desire to follow the truth and to live it out and to kind of proclaim it is is at war with my desire to help people out or rather that's not true uh, but 
it sometimes there is not a way that you can present the truth that will be perceived as a caring and loving way, regardless of how caring and loving you try to send that message. And so I've been called uh, a robot and I've been called uncaring and I've been called uh, unemotional and logical in not a nice way and many kind of similar names uh, usually by people that I've been kind of forced to confront with with the truth usually because they've either forced my hand and, and made me say something or they've come right out and asked me uh, my opinion on something, and uh, I gave it. Uh, and regardless of how how I try to deliver it, uh, in a lot of cases, people get hurt by that, and that's sometimes hard to deal with, especially when uh, one of your big passions in life is to help people. Uh, is that when you reach out to try to help them, you know? And that hand that's kind of reaching out to give them something that you think can really help them, uh, they perceive as a hand reaching out to slap them. You know, that, that's hard for someone who is kind of trained in how to communicate. Uh, I've, I've taken classes and courses and on communicating more effectively and being, you know, an active listener and all these things. And I teach other couples. I write about these things. And, but at the end of the day, communication involves two people. And regardless of what message you're sending, it won't always be heard the same way. But still, sometimes it hurts to be told, you know, sometimes it still hurts that someone says that I'm uncaring or that, oh, I don't care about what people think. I, I just, I'm more interested in being right. Well, there's some truth in that, in that, yeah, I, I care more about being right than about you liking me. Um, it's, it's not true that that means I don't care for the person. Luckily, this kind of also goes with, uh, an ability to, uh, well, it's very, very difficult to offend me. Uh, almost impossible. Uh, it's it's rare that I'm offended. Like, I'm talking maybe once a year. Uh, maybe less often than that. Uh, I've spent a long time kind of learning to see things from other people's perspective. Um, to the point that even when I can't see what they're seeing, when I can't figure out what's going through their head, I still have the base assumption that they're not trying to be offensive or they're not trying to hurt me. Uh, <laughs> sometimes they are trying to be offensive and trying to hurt me, and I'm still trying to find a way to say, no, it's, it's, it's not quite their fault. Something's going on that I'm not understanding. And uh, to some people, that's kind of infuriating, but it has the additional benefit that regardless of what anybody says, on my blog or to me personally, uh, I always still feel like, hey, uh, 
maybe I can still help this person, you know, and <laughs> uh, maybe there's something I can do to, you know, fix things or make it better. Uh, but if they flat out tell me, no, I don't want your help. I don't want to talk to you. Then I'm just kind of like, no, oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> and I, I'm really okay and fine. Uh, at the end of the day, I want them to be happy. And if that means that they don't want to talk to me and that's what makes them happy, then so be it. Uh, unfortunately, this sometimes also gets twisted around to people again thinking that, oh, well, he just doesn't care. So that's kind of the, the trade-off. So that's my list of eight things that uh, are kind of hard for me to admit as a Christian marriage podcaster. Uh, I hope, honestly, I'm not really sure what I'm hoping from this. Uh, I'm hoping maybe you'll see that I'm not a perfect guy, that I have my own struggles and, you know, and maybe it'll make you kind of understand some of the things that I say or the way that I act or respond sometimes. Ultimately, what, what I'd love to people, for people to do is to say, wow, you mean we can be transparent like that? And you know what? If I had a number nine, it would probably be that a lot of times I have no idea how to end a podcast. Uh, I get to the end of what I want to say, and I have no idea how to transition into an ending. Uh, a lot of times my my conclusions of my podcast, they get recorded and re-recorded and recorded again and cut and edited and pasted together. And... And at the end, I, I don't know what to say other than thanks for listening. I hope you have an amazing week and I'll talk to you next time.